these are great ideas, but we have to look at the unintended consequences Mm. of even the things that we think are great ideas, right? Welcome back to the Faculty Factory Podcast. I'm really happy to introduce to you someone who's new to me, Dr. Silk Soto-Santiago. Silk, hello. Hi, nice meeting you and nice talking to you. Well, I'm so pleased that you are here and it is um, in gratitude to Dr. Laura Schweitzer, who when I was talking with her, I think she's been on the podcast a couple of times now, I said, who else should we have on? And she said, you have to talk to Silk Soto. You have to talk to Silk. She's the vice chair for faculty affairs, development and diversity at Indiana University School of Medicine. And I love Indiana University also for Mary Dankowski, one of my role models in life and faculty affairs and faculty <laughs> development. So again, yeah, Silk, thank you so much for being here. I'm particularly intrigued and excited about your proposed topics for discussion because they're really unique and they've really not been addressed here on the Faculty Factory podcast. So perhaps you'd like to also introduce yourself in terms of your your background, your scientific background, your your medical training, and then um, we'll just launch right into it however you like to begin. (laughs) <laughs> okay, well, um, yes, indeed, I am vice chair in the Department of Medicine, and I focus on faculty affairs development and diversity. I am also an assistant professor uh, of medicine here. I'm in the tenure track, and I'm one of the few Latinas um, faculty, especially in the tenure track at the School of Medicine. And I mentioned that because um, I have recently felt that I did experience this notion that I have become my own research. my own research subject. And with that, let me tell you. So I do focus on, I have been in academic medicine for over 20 some years um, in different functions. And I actually have been an administrator and recently switched to what I see as this faculty life, really. Um, So I decided to, after many years in academic medicine and higher education, I decided that I was going to go back in my mid-30s and graduate before the age of 40 um, with this doctorate in higher education. And that is very much motivated by my experiences, not only as an undergrad, in in a STEM field and feeling completely lonely, uh, alone and isolated, but also through my career um, in different graduate programs, um, different master's programs, and even the doctorate degree. So from the very beginning, my focus has been equity in higher education and academic medicine. Um, So I do... um, a lot, the majority of my work is pretty much centered on faculty and professional development, but my other buckets, if you will, <laughs> are obviously under the umbrella of equity. So I look at inclusive learning environments for UME and GME. I look at organizational leadership and the structural barriers that are there for the advancement, again, of minoritized faculty and students, and then this intersection of research ethics and, and health equity. So, but like I said, the majority of my work is really focused on faculty uh, and professional development as a discipline, 
not just, uh, you know, as here we're putting, you know, program together to help um, faculty advance. I really focus on, especially on Black and Latino and other minoritized faculty in academic medicine and higher education. Because of that, I felt that, oh, you know, there's some really cool things that we're doing in the Department of Medicine. Um, and obviously being one of the largest department at, you know, at any school of medicine, I think it's something that people uh, might be interested in and in learning a little bit more. One of the topics is this notion of um, leading with wellness in mind. Um, and the reason why I brought up that topic is because, especially during the pandemic, I think a lot of academic health centers have um, really tried to focus on wellness and burnout given um, the state of affairs, right? Not that burnout um, and wellness were not an issue before. Obviously, we have been navigating that space for a really, really long time. But especially during the pandemic, it was necessary for us as a department to say, okay, how, how do we lead not just with wellness in mind, but adding equity, right, to the mix? So we were already, already operating under an inclusive excellence type of strategic you know, planning model. Um, but it was really important to think about how do we also lead with wellness in a way that is also role modeling for our faculty, right? Um, that even during the pandemic, we have your back kind of situation. <laughs> so a lot of things have obviously happened um, and transpired during the pandemic and support of the faculty. But even discussing with other chief wellness officers, for example, or really thinking about wellness, um, it felt that it was still a silo aspect, right? That we have to deal with wellness and deal with equity, but it's separately, not together, right? And at the end of the day, it's in the hands of the leaders, right? Like, how do we treat our faculty? How do we put policies and practices in place that really um, contribute to satisfaction, engagement, vitality of the faculty? So um, in that sense, we um, published a paper last year really talking about equity and wellness as being critical in inclusive physician wellness efforts. We used a simple model, um, right? The wheel of life, which is a popular tool and is used in coaching. Um, we trained uh, faculty actually during the pandemic on how to become physician peer coaches um, and, and did all that. But really thinking about the wheel of life and the aspects of, again, physical wellness, career, financial um, intellectual, social, and, and other areas of the wheel in asking the questions about equity, especially when it comes to our minoritized uh, populations and faculty, right? So thinking about career wellness in a way that are we really engaging in work that provides personal satisfaction, that is consistent with our own values and goals, examining from that aspect, okay, career wellness, what is the organization's EDI, you know, equity, diversity, and inclusion record when it comes to career, when it comes to satisfaction? Does the organization recognize that signs of minoritized faculty burnout 
um, under what circumstances they experience these symptoms. Um, and the list goes on and on. So I don't want to rehash um, the paper, but it's really thinking about all the questions that as leaders, we should ask when we are thinking about wellness and we're thinking in, in terms of equity. So wellness with equity in mind will really um, be an aspect that will help us ensure physician longevity or actually faculty longevity in the academy. So Silka, thank you so much for contributing to the scholarship, first of all. Um, that, that is really so important. And I love how you led with recognizing faculty development as a discipline. So mm -hmm. first of all, again, thank you for the hard work in publishing this work. And you mentioned policy, putting policies and practices into place to, um, to marry these concepts, wellness and equity. Can you give us an example of a policy or a practice that you implemented or improved or are noodling around that that demonstrates those the synergies and the you know the complementarity of those concepts wellness and equity yeah i can um give you an example i think that we are in an era that the same way diversity has broadened it's many i do feel that we are at a crossroads here where um, wellness has really also broadened <laughs> its meaning that we're not just i mean i again i just gave you the example of the wheel of life right how we're thinking about financial wellness right, um, in, in these larger aspects. I do think that wellness is related to so much of what happens in our daily lives, in our own professional careers. So an example, not necessarily an example of a current policy that will change things, but I can give you an example something that we didn't think that was contributed to financial wellness. So our, um, our health system, for example, have um, quality incentives for uh, patient satisfaction scores. Sure. Right. Um, and many places had this and um, we decided that that sounded good, right? That, you know, more money in the pockets of <laughs> faculty positions seemed like a good thing. Everybody was on board. However, after a year of seeing this, we realized that this might not be what the outcome that we wanted, especially when we saw women and faculty physicians of color having lower patient satisfaction scores. Right. And in some instances, we actually looked, um, we actually look across the department and this was there and it was statistically significant, especially when it came to women of color um, physicians. So what happens with that? The consequences is that we are contributing to the pay inequities, right? We're contributing to the pay gap because these individuals, right? The women faculty, as well as the women faculty of color and other physicians of color were not receiving the same amount of incentive oh. because of the realities of patient satisfaction scores being so subjective. So we were hurting their financial wellness in a way, right? And we were part of contributing to perpetuating pay gaps that we didn't even recognize when that proposal, right, went into place. Because again, why would you argue against 
right. give money, right, to, to your faculty. Like, this is great. So again, when we're thinking about let's lead with wellness in mind, let's lead with equity in mind, is that we are thinking, okay, these are great ideas, but we have to look at the unintended consequences mm. of even the things that we think are great ideas, right? So we need to look at the data. We need to make sure that the evidence is there to make the story short, not that it can be any shorter (laughs) than this, but um, that incentive was eliminated because when you look more broadly, it wasn't just the Department of Medicine. We looked at close to 400 um, faculty physicians. So it was clear that it wasn't really having the impact that you know, the health system had intended. And obviously we endorse um, an incentive that was, that was flawed. That is fascinating. Just fascinating. And a great, great reminder to carefully consider and have as many eyes on a document and as many faces at a table to try to troubleshoot and look at those unanticipated consequences and unintended effects or impacts and just really be um, avoid the groupthink concept of like, this is fine. It sounds great. How could anybody shoot any holes in this until you, we pause and take a moment and listen to different voices of, well, maybe. So I think that is such an important um, example and I'm of, um, leadership and slowing the, to me, I'm a high J in the Myers-Briggs. So I'm always like, that sounds great. Go, go ahead, do it, make it happen. Make it go. <laughs> yeah. And we need the P's in the group who are more like deliberate. It's okay. Slow down. Are we missing yeah. any possible thing if we yeah. proceed? And that is such a perfect example of well-intentioned and yet some downstream negative effects. So Good. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's exactly it. You know, when it comes to, um, and I have thought of this recently as I'm um, thinking about, you know, impact and culture change in a department, I think I get the, the greatest joy when I see leaders now, even within the department and other spaces, again, asking the question when these proposals come through or when you're looking at the data, um, but especially when these proposals um, come through in terms of problem solving and really being strategic in, in our initiatives and things like that. Um, I'm very proud when people stop and say, okay, this sounds good. Is it equitable? Mm, mm. Does it lead to our faculty wellness? Um, and obviously this is a faculty related podcast, but I'm always <laughs> Also asking the question for our staff or for our students or whatever the, the space is, I think that is the main the main lesson. Just just ask it. Does does this make sense for everyone? Right, and and just you reminded me of um, an old a former professor of research at Rush University who always reminded us when we write grants, you play it forward, play it forward. So you, when we tell the story and create interest in the hypothesis or the hypotheses, you're playing it forward. How will this play out? How will the project proceed yes. in the timeline? And it's the same or similar, I think, a process where let's play this forward. If we were to implement, let's try to 
let's try to kill it. Where will it go wrong? If it goes wrong, yeah. yes, might it happen? Let's play this forward and do all the levels of if then, if then, if then, if then. And then all of a sudden we could be seven if then loops deep and go, oh my gosh, oh, we had to yeah. about the impact on staff, which then has a feedback loop to this or this current, you know, bumping yes. into the other policy. So I think it's just so smart. Good. Yes. No, I like I like what you're saying in terms of play it forward. And now I have to say that um, I want to make sure that this actually goes on, you know, on the record, if you will. I am not um, styming innovation. No, I do think that there are circumstances that, of course, as leaders, we need to act, especially, again, in this period where we have had to combine crisis and transformational leadership, you know, together, Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, innovation should not limit, be limited. Um, All I'm saying is that we just ask one more question. Hmm. I even say this in, in medical education, right? That I'm not, especially as I'm talking about inclusive, inclusivity and talking about culturally relevant pedagogies and education development, that I'm not asking for a whole curriculum overhaul. I am just asking for clinician educators to have one more question handy and ask, okay, how would this be different if it was so-and-so and and just throw out there a different type of, you know, example, a different type of um, situation within structural uh, social determinants of health and and things like that. To change the culture, and maybe this is me being idealistic, but I really think that it just takes one or two questions, one or two extra questions to really change minds and make people think, oh, just like you said, just play it a little bit forward and see how I love your philosophy, Silk, and I think it resonates so easily with academic scientists and clinicians because we're all about curiosity. So mm-hmm. we love nothing more than, yeah. than pushing our brains and challenging our brains. So it's just another what if I go, oh, that is true. What if? So it's just yeah. so natural for me to be curious. And I think a lot of us, if we take the time, again, the time mm-hmm. to just pause, our brain may light up in new ways and, and uncover new ways of fill in the blank, interacting yeah. with our patients and our colleagues in the lab and in the classrooms and at the bedside and in the clinic with the staff meeting and on and on and on just by being curious. So Mm-hmm. Good you, Dr. Curiosity yeah. is is certainly um, very important. Mm-hmm. Um, I was trying to think of something that you just said also made me think about um, resilience, right? Obviously, we we always bring up resilience when we're talking about the wellness and burnout um, aspects that are really impacting our faculty, but asking the question or proposing that we lead with wellness and equity in mind, to me, is a way to even counter the focus that we have had in individual resilience. Um, And everybody that knows me knows that, okay, (laughs) I may be navigating this wellness and burnout world, but I do not put it all on our right faculty, um, that I, I do appreciate yoga and, and, you know, (laughs) um, 
fitness, you know, memberships and things of that nature. But I do believe that you can have you can work towards individual resiliency without working on institutional resiliency. And I think part of having leaders who think about wellness and equity and are asking these questions that it can only increase institutional resiliency to the point that you can truly still have individual resiliency, but you're really putting the onus on ourselves, organizations and leaders to actually make the change, right? Make the the spaces that we um, navigate and day in and day out um, better. Right, leading to again that vitality and satisfaction. Well, uh, I'm we're going to definitely link your article, Equity and Wellness A Call for More Inclusive Physician Wellness Efforts in Med Ed, January 2021. Right, so we're going to link, we'll put the link in the Faculty Factory Resources tab where we have lots of faculty development literature there. So, thank you for again contributing and um, challenging us to be curious and ask, ask questions. One more question, we can do it. Yes. So you'll have to excuse my dog barking in the background here. Um, but we'll we have another topic that I was really, really excited for you to uh, go into if you'd like to lead into that next. Okay. So um yes, I was I was talking to uh, a couple of individuals. We have done obviously everybody has heard of writing accountability groups and accountability groups exist for many things, right? But they're, they're absolutely great, and there's obviously great literature and, and scholarship supporting that. Um, but a couple of years ago, we started a promotion accountability group. And, um, you know, I there's nothing magical about it, which I think that's why it's so transferable to any anybody that wants to implement it. There's really no rocket science here. But, you know, in looking at our own path for promotion and tenure, and looking at, um, again, my bias is that I focus on gender and race ethnicity issues. But in looking at that, obviously, we're not happy with the numbers of women that are going for promotion um, or for tenure. Um, and also, uh, again, our, our faculty of color. So we realized that we needed a little bit more of a support system. Many times, um, again, we're talking about busy clinician scientists and <laughs> clinician educators and um, all the tracks. We're just busy. There's no way around it. And there is not enough time to prepare a dossier. And sometimes just the idea of preparing a dossier was the limiting factor, especially for our clinician faculty. Um, oh, my gosh, I have no time to put this together, right? Um, Your time job, it's a part Yes, yes, there's no time for doing this. So we broke it down a little bit. I, um, you know, follow actually the writing accountability group um, schedule that I have that is about 12 weeks. So with that 12 week schedule, I tell people we're going to come up with an idea and by week 12, we're submitting that to a journal. That is the whole, <laughs> the whole plan here. So with that thought, looked back at the deadlines and criteria for the school and said, we're going to break this up as we would any project management, any grant, actually. I think for those that write grants, they know that you have to pace yourself, right? You can't sit down and write the whole 25 pages or whatever the case is in one sitting. So we um, offered 
um, you know, participation in these. And um, most recently, we had about 12 individuals that actually joined our promotion accountability group. We worked on every week we connected and we worked on different parts of the dossier. So for example, week one was the CV and that actually may have gone to week three (laughs) Um, because uh, again, many institutions have a particular CV template that they must follow. And that CV template is a pain. There's no other way to say it. At either at Indiana University or University well, of Colorado or whatever it is. Right? Like, as well. Oh yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so really working and um, helping our faculty again get through that CV. The next few weeks were related to the personal statement and providing templates and providing obviously examples. But here, this you know week we're gonna work in two pages and then the next two pages. But really breaking down the dossier in elements of project management. Again, I told you that there was no earth shattering um, experience here. However, everybody that participated was able to say, my gosh, I got it done, Um, (laughs) right? I submitted by the deadline. Uh, We worked on external referees list, internal referee list. Uh, We worked on um, putting, again, evidence together for, you know, publications and journal impact factors and things of that nature. So um, we really did focus on all the elements of the dossier, breaking it down week by week. So our family, our faculty didn't feel like it was so big. Yeah. So, so big. Now there's some lessons that I'm happy to share (laughs) now that we have done it for I think two three three years now um that I do believe that we probably need more time more leeway leading into that deadline because we're still focused on a 12-week breakdown of parts and I think that it can go a little bit a little bit longer um I also think that um the accountability amongst the peers could probably be a little bit um, better, right? And, and having some space, uh, not just Microsoft Teams or something else, but having some sort of platform where people can really track their progress and see yes. how each other does would have been great. But yeah, that's that's the promotion accountability group. Like, how do we break this dossier? How do we break down this promotion and tenure uh, preparation in ways that are little nuggets that are manageable for very busy faculty so they're not overwhelmed super super smart and i love how you use the wag model when we put wags together it was something you talked about earlier the primary purpose was to make it it was a tool um that i built it on um the how to write a lot paul sylvia yes had you know he had a a a process but there was Mm -hmm. no structure so when we put the yes. wax together, this is the structure of how you implement the process of getting into a regular routine and habit of writing. So when yes. we did this, I was Karma Fouché, my mentee back mm-hmm. at Rush University Medical Center in Chicago. It was, again, an idea, idea of putting a structure that would get into a good habit of writing with increased regularity, increased frequency yes. for shorter durations, which is sustainable. But mm-hmm. what you mentioned earlier, an unanticipated benefit was the socialization and the networking. Absolutely. And the 
and the fact that I'm not alone, that I'm in this together. And that's the accountability yes. portion of it. So I think it's genius that you use that same approach of mm-hmm. dedicating time, putting it in your calendar, having explicit expectations, and then being accountable to each other yep. to deliver on the product that you promise you're going to do. So I think it just makes so much sense. So congratulations. That's super exciting. Well, thank you. You know, I think at the end of the day, I will measure the success as long as all the 20 some individuals that are going up for promotion actually get promoted and positive votes. But again, this is also an effort um, uh, as vice chair anyway, right, to also increase the quality of the materials that are submitted to, you know, promotion and tenure committees, making sure that we are selling our faculty to the best of you know, their abilities and making You're helping sure faculty, that yeah, yes. feel like they it's it's a process that they can control it is doable yes. it's manageable it you yes. put into place a nice structure that kind of blows open the mysterious black box component of it yes this is how we do it and then you're not alone it's not such a humongous thing where i have to spend the next eight weekends mm-hmm. or 12 weekends of my life by myself trying to figure this out it just makes yeah. sense to support each other. So I just, I think it's a wonderful idea. Promotion accountability groups. Fantastic. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you have a third suggested topic, which I thought was so cool. So you celebrate something every year in your department, which is really unique. So tell us what that thing you celebrate okay. is. <laughs> So um, we actually have talked about this topic also um, during a AAMC meeting. A few years ago, uh, one of our fellows at the time, pulmonary and critical care, Dr. Erin Crowley, just in case she's uh, listening to to the podcast, was talking to a couple uh, of us, Dr. Katie Sears, Dr. Cindy Brown, and and myself, and just a little bit down, right? (laughs) It was one of those conversations of, Hey, how are you? And it was the, I can't remember specifically, but it was either my paper didn't get accepted or, you know, here is another grant submission that, you know, was it unscored? Was it unscored or something like that, right? And, uh, you know, during the, the period of that conversation, you know, uh, the eternal cheerleader <laughs> that I am, I said, you know, like, this is cool. I mean, like, you, submitted a paper, we should celebrate that. Or, you know, you submitted a grant, we should celebrate that. All that is part of, you know, the process. And um, Dr. Brown, Dr. Sears are also cheerleaders, and they also share, you know, their own instances during that particular, you know, few months, like, okay, well, you know, my grant got scored again, right? So it's this notion of um, all the things that we had failed at, but in our minds, right, that we had failed at during those moments in that conversation. And uh, I am also Puerto Rican, so I love a good party. So the decision was to, <laughs> to say, you know, we should celebrate these. We should celebrate all of our failures um, and change the narrative because especially in academia, I, I think that we see these indeed as failures, especially when we compare to, you know, our peers or colleagues that are in the same rank in the same year or, you know, things of that nature without realizing that this is unfortunately, right, part of the process 
uh, part of getting the next paper accepted in the although I have never had a paper accepted in the first review, but, you know, um, again, part of the process, right, of getting ourselves better in grant writing, getting ourselves better in, you know, papers, etc. So we decided that we were going to introduce the concept of, and we joked about, let's just hashtag fail fest and make it happen. So that's actually... Fail fest. I love it. <laughs> so that's what we did in our first celebration of hashtag fail fest. And did we you have the fungal? That's what I want to uh, know. No, I didn't. We, we did. I did not cook. I was not responsible for the cooking. I'm just responsible for the organizing the parties, you know. No, so for our next women in medicine uh, group, we decided, you know, we're going to celebrate hashtag fail fest. Come prepare to share the failures. And we provided examples, um, you know, that, you know, have happened in the last year. Um, and we will just you know, have a conversation about it. And that's what we did. We had a really good turnout. And as a product of that, we actually collected a list of um, things that we were doing to deal or to cope with these failures. Um, Lessons from, you know, never open a grant review on Friday at three o'clock. Like, do not do that. Just to save it for Monday. To I went shopping for shoes. Right. That 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 whole list of things were there, and it was wonderful. The other aspect that I think that is very interesting is that you know we framed it from a professional standpoint, right? Like from the academic side, but inevitably um, it turned more personal right? Um, You provide examples of, you know, one time I sent my daughter with uh, different shoes to kindergarten. (laughs) She, um, luckily in my case, yeah, she, it was like a navy blue and a black, you know, shoe, but I knew, and I felt like a terrible parent, but nobody else Nobody else noticed that she was wearing navy blue and black, you know, black shoe. But the point that I'm trying to make is that for a lot of us, especially um, in, in terms of motherhood, um, it was an, an opportunity to connect again um, how we were perceived, how we perceived ourselves. We were failing in other spheres Ooh. of our identities, right? That it wasn't just professional. So we have done it, I think, for four years now um, that we celebrate, you know, Fail Fest. And actually, the last one was recently in the fall of 2021. And I do remember early career um, faculty saying, oh, my gosh, I've never participated in this. And it's so nice to hear all of you, especially, you know, mid and senior faculty talk about you know, the failures <laughs> in this. So I think that it has also worked out as inspiration for the early career faculty, again, changing the narrative. That, that's the bottom line. We, we wanted to add the fast part in order to change the narrative that these things are not necessarily failures, but part of the process and how do we grow, how we grow as um, faculty and professionals in, in our careers. Oh, Does that make sense at all? Look, it's wonderful. It's so fun. 
it's such a great twist on things since we're so accustomed celebrating with awards of, you know, you got the grant, you got the paper, you got the leadership role, you oh, yes. got promotion. So celebrate, celebrate all these things. And then other faculty members who are struggling or starting off or confused or going through yeah. seasons of life, social comparison, we compare ourselves and say, I'm inadequate. I'm never going to do that. Or what's wrong with me? Or I'm not going to succeed. And Mm -hmm. that honesty of of seeing someone's failures or the anti-CV, if you will, you know, look at Soto's Mm -hmm. resume. I would never have all that. I'll never be there without realizing, well, if you saw the anti-CV, if you saw all the things that were rejected, or mm-hmm. how many journals this paper went to go be a foster child? Yes. How many failed failed fostering attempts this paper had of these families? Yes. And how many grants I submitted? Yeah, you see how that I got these ten funded, but I got a hundred. Yes, that were not. We never yes, about that. So I love that you you don't all only acknowledge it; you celebrate it. Yes, you have to celebrate it, right? Like it's all part of the process. But I'm glad that you bring up the anti. Oh, CV, because I think we saw it maybe in the second year of our celebration, we actually um, discussed it. Um, it was just so much easier to just sit in a in a room <laughs> with people, have our snack and our um, beverage. I will not relay if it, they were alcoholic or not alcoholic, <laughs> but to actually say, listen, I, you know, I put my name for a board of directors and you know, that I wasn't selected. Well, what does that mean? Like, kudos to you. You are actually putting yourself out there for big roles. And now you know what the interview is like in the process. And mm-hmm. when are you going to apply to the next one? That's right. right? So having, um, you know, exactly a community of individuals that are in the same boat, but also cheering you on to the next thing. Um, you know, we have we have been there. So so what's the next thing? What, right. you know, what are you going to do? I love how you're emphasizing the underlying lining the fact that these failures are learning opportunities. And Absolutely. That, yeah, this didn't work out. And then what happened? So I'd love to hear the next. And then you won't believe it happened. Yeah, I didn't get that mission. Yeah. But then lo and behold, about nine months later, la, 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 la. The old Paul Hart. You're too young for this, but the old Paul Harvey, and now you know the rest of the story. This, you know, once upon a time, and the story marches along, marches along, and then all of a sudden, a, a twist comes up, and you go, "Oh my gosh, I never knew!" And he's like, "Aha! Now you know the rest of the story." So it starts off as a wah, wah, wah. and then <laughs> now I know why that got rejected, or I didn't get that board appointment, or I didn't get that promotion because had I had that, I probably wouldn't have been in a position to get this. And now exactly. Like maybe at all, yeah. Parking. I now I know why I got rejected during COVID of so many dogs I applied for on Pet Finder to got to get. <laughs> no, no, no. It's because I was going to get this little guy, and he's yeah. So well, I'm glad I'm glad you went through that experience because now you value that little guy a little bit, a little bit more. I think it was at one of AAMC meetings years ago. Um, I can't remember which one or who said it. So maybe somebody that is listening to this can can claim it, but. Um, I was talking to somebody and they were telling me that they met someone who um, had their paper published in a very like high impact, you know, journal. I don't know if it was New England or science or nature or whatever the case is. And um, she actually said, 
you know, it had uh, been rejected. I think it was eight times. Oh. And each time, you know, from the beginning, people just rejected with no comments. And then as modifications happened, you know, there were some more comments and it made the paper better, better, better to the point that then, you know, it gets accepted to a major journal. So since then, the kind of joke is, but has it been rejected eight times? So I have to make it to fail fest because we only got rejected once. One time? Are you kidding me? Two, three times? That is amateur right there. Like you tell me. Um, So even at a personal level, um, eight is my number. And after that, I say, okay, it's time to put it in a blog or something. Like where where, where do I send this thing? Uh, I I like it. It's got to be silk fail fest. Fight Club. It's got to be hashtag fail fest fight club where the number one rule is we don't talk about the failures. Yeah. <laughs> silly nonsense of like, oh, you have to be a special elite member to get to the fail fest fight club level. You got to be rejected eight times. Nine. Then you get the special award. Then, yes, it will be like SNL wearing like the fifth time they host jacket yeah uh, we should yes. have um you know it was rejected eight times here i am kind of thing. come on talk about yeah warrior just this is this is how you do it you don't give up you learn you persevere and what a to watch someone keep getting up getting up off of the mat i'm i'm gonna i'm not giving up i'm not giving up <laughs> Like well, I've had a friend, I see what happened. I got a paper. It was like journal number four or five. And I just sits forward to the email, ranting, raving, ranting, raving, bang, 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 bang on the keyboard, blah, 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 blah. You know, I was just so angry, angry, angry. And she was just like, Kim, calm down. Don't give up. And she started was going into, you know, coaching mode. And I was like, oh, come on. You know me. I just need to like, God, yes. you know, raving <laughs> the machine. I needed a week, 10 days to kind of like go, whew. Yeah, I'm like, oh yeah, this is not. I'm like, I'm going to get this published in the National Enquirer if I have to. It's getting published, (laughs) baby. Somebody, so that's actually how I go. Somebody needs to hear about this, so (laughs) let's (laughs) let's just figure it out. Uh, But you know, something that you just made me think, right? Uh, In thinking about the warriors, right? Thinking about perseverance and thinking about all those things. Um, I do want to note that. You can still, again, cheer people on while recognizing the barriers, right? The structures that also do not allow us to get this work done. I say that because especially uh, living maybe not so much in the last two years, right? When a lot of shifting has happened towards diversity, equity, and inclusion. But at the beginning, like who wanted to read my papers about the experiences of Black and Latino faculty in in higher ed? Um, They made it. They're faculty, right? um, So so now there is a shift. But there are still, uh, you know, moments when, for example, there's a very well-known journal that uh, I always start with, right? It's like, okay, this is the first start. We'll see what happens there. But, you know, that journal actually tells you the name of the individual that it's submitting, tells you the institution. When you're a reviewer, you see those things. 
And those are problems in the in the systems, right? That we have when we don't have blinded review, when we allow biases of you know the institution come into play, or or you know the eliteness maybe of the institution. So I think that we can still say, you know, yes, there's room for us to improve on our writing. There's still the fight and the perseverance to get that paper published, but also know, right that the system is flawed, that higher education is flawed, that peer review is still um, a flawed process in many ways, and that some journals haven't even tried to, um, you know, fix some of these things, especially, again, when you talk about certain topics like diversity, equity, and inclusion, in, in my case, but yeah, that there's all these little bit morsels of bias <laughs> that exist in the system that may not um, allow for that. Again, talking about NIH grants, you can still recognize and acknowledge that, right, like 80% of the funding goes to the same institutions or the same PIs <laughs> kind of thing. Um, and I'm, I'm throwing numbers out there, so I don't want anybody to quote me in the podcast with these right. numbers, but they're pretty close and you can uh, actually <laughs> look for them. But, you know, like there's still room to, to right. state that we are all playing a game in many ways and some of us don't even know the rules of the game so we're in this together um and that is all part of those fail fast conversations is that fair to say kim it is extraordinarily fair and i think it's so refreshing to hear your perspective to learn from you and is a just a great reminder of course our institutions of course our systems of course our processes in journals are flawed because why? Because they're run by humans and we are flawed and and we beautifully flawed. We are wonderfully Mm -hmm. flawed. And that, and it's not um, being, um, I like you, there's a sensibility of not maligning and burning the house down as much as a recognition of there's room for improvement. Yes, At the micro level, like you said, I have to own where I have gaps in mm-hmm. my character, mm-hmm. my writing, my leadership, and I will work on that. And my division, department, school, university, community, neighborhood, region, yes. country, state, country, on and on and on and on. We all have the, this responsibility on all sides to have that moment of, hmm, is this equitable for fill in the blank, any yes, any yes, diversity mm-hmm. in the broadest sense. Mm-hmm. So that that to me is that question of let's all take a moment and pause and reflect and be curious. And it, and it yes. will do nothing but help us. So. Yep. Yep. Oh my gosh, I've so enjoyed our conversation. Everybody, I'm sure you too have um, learned a lot and had as much fun with as I have with Dr. Silk Soto Santiago, Indiana University School of Medicine. Thank you so much, Silk. This has been really great. Uh, uh, Come back again sometime, okay? Yes, anytime, anytime. This was a very uh, pleasant conversation and I am happy to have it again. (laughs) You want it, you can get in touch with Silk Soto to learn more about hashtag FailFest. We're going to post her paper, promotion accountability groups, and let's all think about ways that we can lead 
with wellness and equity. I love it. Love it. Great messages. See you all next time on the Faculty Factory podcast. Bye-bye for now. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.